Matthew chapter 8. We're here now in, in this section of, of Matthew. And chapter 8 and 9 is broken down in an interesting way where Matthew lists three miracles and then a teaching of Jesus. And, and there is that pattern three times. So three miracles, a teaching of Jesus, three miracles, another teaching from Jesus, and then three miracles and a teaching from Jesus. We've been through one set of those in Matthew chapter 8 where we looked at three miracles, those three miracles uh, two weeks ago where Jesus healed the leper, where Jesus healed the centurion servant, where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then last week we looked at this teaching of Jesus on the cost of discipleship, on following him. And now here we are again into three more miracles uh, from Matthew chapter 8 and into Matthew chapter 9. And all of these have to do with Jesus bringing peace in the midst of different circumstances. So we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 8 verse 23 and we're going to go all the way through Matthew chapter 9 verse 7 or verse 8. And it says that when he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and, the, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters." The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And then chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. 
And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that in these three stories of you bringing peace to uh, chaotic situations and, and tormented people and broken people, Lord, that today we would even see that you are our peace. Lord, that you are, as Isaiah prophesied, the prince of peace. And Lord, that you have given us the greatest peace as you have made peace uh, between us and God by taking away our sins. Lord, I pray that we would marvel at that today, that we would celebrate that today, that you are the one who brings peace to our hearts. Lord, help us today uh, to, to see what it is you want us to see, to hear what it is you want us to hear today. Lord, we know that everything in this life is temporary, but that your word is eternal. Lord, everything in this life can be shaken, but your word is that solid foundation. And so as we come to your word today, we endeavor to build our house, to build our life on the sure and solid foundation of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. These three uh, stories can be broken into peace in the storm, peace in the cemetery, and peace in the soul. Peace in the storm, peace in the cemetery, and peace in the soul. Let's look at the first one this morning, peace in the storm. Jesus wanted to leave where they were and he wanted to travel to a different group of people and, and to bring uh, healing and hope and, and ministry and the gospel to this, this other area, this other region. And so Jesus had, had called his disciples together. He said, let us go to the other side. You'll recall from last week, uh, one of the disciples said, I, I want to follow you, but I've got some other stuff to do. And, and Jesus encouraged him to, to focus in on following him. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get into the boat. They go to the other side of the sea. The sea that they're on is the Sea of Galilee. It's really a large lake. It's about 13 miles long and eight miles across. If you've ever been to Israel, uh, you most likely went out on a, on a tour of the Sea of Galilee and got to go on the boat as uh, we have done before when we have toured uh, Israel. It's a wonderful experience to be out on the same waters uh, that, that the storm was on, to be out on the same waters uh, that Jesus even walked on. Every time we do go, I, I'm always tempted to try and, like Peter, get out on the, on the side. But unfortunately, I think like Peter, I would also start to sink like a rock. And so I've never done it. I've never seen anybody else do it. But anyway, they're here on this sea. And and because of its geography, surrounded by mountains, it was very common, and it even is still to this day, for, for, there be, for, for there to be great storms that just come out of nowhere. And that's what seemingly happens here. They're, they make their way to the other side. They're caught in the midst of this incredible storm. And Jesus is not concerned about this. Jesus is not worried about this. In fact, we find that he is fast asleep. And what we see here immediately is that just because you are following Jesus, it does not mean that your life will be free from storms. In fact, they're in the midst of the storm because they followed Jesus. The, the people who said, I've got stuff to do, they were back home. Guess what? They weren't in the midst of the storm. They, they weren't about to drown. 
Their ship wasn't sinking. They weren't even in a ship. They were in a storm because they followed Jesus. We have this idea, and I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, that if we will follow Christ, that everything will be easy, everything will be rosy, everything will be smooth sailing. But that is not a biblical idea. And in fact, if we, if we have that impression that following Christ guarantees a life free from hardship, difficulty, calamity, and affliction, we're not reading our Bibles. We think oftentimes that if, if, if there's hardship in our life, it means we've done something wrong. Here the disciples are and they're in the storm because they've done something right. Sometimes in this fallen world, the hardship comes from doing the right thing, for standing for the truth, for not giving in to unrighteousness. So we need to, 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 to eradicate this idea from our mind, erase this idea that if there is hardship, if there is difficulty, that it means that something is wrong. It could be that there's just something wrong in the world and that we're just following Christ. Amen? Jesus, in John 16, verse 33, he said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Where should our peace be found? In Christ. It's in Christ and in knowing Christ and in relationship with Christ that we have peace. If we're looking for peace in the world, we're not going to find it. If we're looking in peace in possessions, we're not going to find it. If we're looking in peace from our relationships, we're not going to find it. The only place to find peace is in Christ. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He goes on to say, in the world you will have tribulation. What a great promise from the Lord. Again, I've never seen that bumper sticker sold at the Christian bookstore, even if they have them anymore, I'm not even sure. But they used to have these things called Christian bookstores and they would sell all of these you know, cute little Christian bumper stickers Jesus, my boss, is a Jewish carpenter, you know, wise men still seek him, all of that kind of stuff. I've never seen in the world you will have tribulation on the bumper sticker. I've never seen it. A promise from the Lord. How many of you claim that promise for yourself every day? All the promises of our yes and amen in Christ and in the world today, I'm going to have tribulation. Thank you, Jesus. No, no. Nevertheless, in this world, in our fallen world, and as our culture has, has gone away from its founding, founded as a Christian nation, as our, as our culture, as our nation forsakes Christ, the world becomes a darker place and God's people will have more tribulation in the world. In the world you will have tribulation. But Jesus doesn't stop 
There he says, take heart. Strengthen yourself on this. Hold on to this truth. I have overcome the world. So in the world, I will have tribulation, but that problem, that storm, that persecution, that hardship, that difficulty, that calamity will not take over my life. That, that will not dominate my life. That, that will not have victory over me. I can claim that no weapon formed against me will prosper. That's not to say that there won't be weapons formed against me. But it is to say that they will not prosper, that they will not be victorious because Christ is victorious over the world. So we go through hardships, we go through troubles, we go through pain, we go through storms, but Jesus is always with us in the midst of the storm. And because of that, we are guaranteed that our ship will not sink. Our life will not go down because Jesus is in our boat. Amen. 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 And so we don't have to be afraid in the midst of the storm. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Wow. Wow. You know, there's this saying that goes around. I'm just correcting all the bad Christian sayings today. There's this saying that goes around that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's, that's not true. God oftentimes gives us much more than we can handle in our own strength so that we might learn to trust in him. You see, if God never gives us more than we're able to handle, we never look to him. We never embrace him. We never seek him. But Paul says we were afflicted so utterly beyond our strength that we even despaired of life itself. Paul got so desperate in his persecution that he was ready to depart from the body to be present with the Lord. But he goes on to say how God was their helper, how God was with them, how God gave them the strength to carry on. Listen, God will oftentimes give you things that are way above your head so that you will look to the one who is above all things. Isn't it true that so often in the storms of life, we turn to Christ, that it's the storms of life that get us to put our focus and our attention on Christ, that, that lead us to our knees, that, that lead us to intercession, that, that lead us to prayer. And so God will allow these, these things into our life so that we will not depend upon ourselves, but that we will depend upon him. Paul talks about this a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to flip over there with me quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, Paul talking here about how God was using him, how God had revealed so much divine truth to him that he was tempted with pride. He was tempted to become conceited and boastful because of his great uh, knowledge of the truth that he had about God. And so to keep that from happening in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul was given by God a messenger of Satan to harass him that he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, if that was happening to us, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I think that uh, God intended it that way so that all of us can relate to what he's going through. And so at any time in our life, whenever we're going through anything that would, would come against us, what would we do in that circumstance? Well, we would pray to God that he would what? Take it away, right? We, that's what I would do. And so that's what Paul does. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me, that it should leave me, this messenger of Satan. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's God's word to you today. Whatever storm you're going through, whatever trial you're in, whatever temptation that you're facing, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, to our way of thinking, that doesn't make sense. Because we do not equate weakness and power. But we do not think like the world. The greatest demonstration of power, the greatest victory that's ever been won, was accomplished through weakness. It is the cross of Christ through which Jesus conquered Satan that God's power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's conclusion is, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you can say that the, the normal way that you live is that you are content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities? I, I have to admit, I, I, I do not... I'm not content with those things, often. When those things are in my life, I, I, am, I, I find myself, I find in my flesh 
uh, 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 an acting out that is ungodly and that is sinful and that needs to be sanctified and nailed to the cross of Christ because God's grace is sufficient for me. Whatever situation you're in, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. We must not try to live like the unbelieving world. You see, the unbelieving world, they they have no vision of the future. What that means is that this world, this life, is all there is for them. They, They have no hope beyond the grave. And so they must try to make this life heaven on earth. And so when this life for the unbeliever is not heaven on earth, all hope is lost because there's no hope for them beyond the grave. But we do not live with that mindset. You see, we have a hope beyond the grave, a hope eternal. And, And we have a hope that is in Christ that every injustice, every wrong will be dealt with, will be atoned for, will be uh, held accountable for on that day of judgment. And so when we live in this life, everything doesn't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for me to have joy because my joy is not to be found in the temporary circumstances of this life which is fleeting and passing away. But my joy is to be found in Christ who is my Savior, who is my Lord, who is my Redeemer, my healer, my healer, my friend, my companion, my Lord and my God. My joy is to be found in Him. My peace is to be found in Him. If I find in myself that when things don't go the way I want in this life, when there is hardship and there is calamity and there is insults and there are all of these persecutions and all of these Things, if I find that I don't have joy, it's because I've put my hope in the temporary things of this life and I have not anchored myself, my soul, my emotions to the unchanging rock who is Jesus Christ. And so we, as God's people, we must anchor ourselves not to this world which is passing away, but to that kingdom which will never pass away. And so Paul says, when I'm weak, then I am strong because his grace is sufficient for me. Whatever storm, whatever hardship, whatever trial that you find yourself in, look to Christ. His grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, I will boast all the more in my weakness because when I am weak, then I am strong. I think we could say it like this, that we will celebrate the thorn that keeps us close to him. I will thank God for the trial that keeps me close to the shepherd. In this story, we see here that the storm was great. It was a great storm. It was huge. It was enormous. It says that going back to Matthew chapter 8. In verse 24, the storm is great. 
when Jesus pronounces a calm, when he rebukes the wind and the waves, it says that the calm was great. A great calm came across the sea. The only thing that was small in this story was their faith. Great storm, great calm, but Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And here he's, he's contrasting back to just a few verses earlier. You'll remember how Jesus marveled at the great faith of the centurion. And here he rebukes his disciples for their lack of faith. This passage would be good for us to remember the next time we find ourselves in a storm. And we need to ask ourselves, am I trusting in Christ? Am I trusting in him? Am I, am I trusting in his providential care to see me through? Am I trusting in his power and in his strength? Am I trusting in him to supply, to him to meet my needs? Or am I doubting in him? Am I doubting that he will come through? Am I doubting that he will take care of me in the midst of the storm? Am I filled with, with fear? Am I filled with worry? Am I filled with anxiety? You know, oftentimes our emotions, they, they run wild if, if we don't make them obey the word of God. I'm not saying that we will never have fears or worries or anxieties, but what I am saying is that when those feelings come in, we must take them captive and say, yes, but this is what the word of God says. Yes, but this is who Jesus is. Yes, and this is who I am in Christ. Yes, and this is what God's word promises. And his word is what will stand the test of time. My circumstances will come and they will go. My emotions will go up and they will go down. But God's word stands forever. We must temper our emotions, our feelings, our fears, our worries, our anxieties on the truth of God's word. Husbands and wives, we need each other to help us do this. So husbands, if, if you're going crazy and out of control and, and spinning with your words because of the situation, wife, come, and, come to your husband with the word of God and say, yes, but this is what God's word says. And then husband, repent of your sin of unbelief and pray and move on, amen? amen. And wife, Likewise, if you too find yourself spinning out of control over fears and worries of this or that, and your husband, it's, it's, it's his job then to step in with the word of God and say, yes, but this is what God's word says. And wives, repent, trust in God, pray, and get back on with what God has called you to do. Amen. We need this also within our church community. We need this also in our church family to, to not just vent our, our full heart. You know, the, the Bible in Proverbs says a fool gives vent to all of his emotions. That's what a fool does. 
Because once you say it, guess what? You can never take those words back. They're out there. If you're just thinking it, it's in here and you can, you can apply the word of God. But when you start to speak it, guess what? Those words begin to lodge into other people's hearts and souls. Words are powerful that way. And so we in the community of faith, when, when we find someone who, who is struggling, when we find someone confiding in us their fears, their worries, their anxieties, we need to hear them for a moment, but then we need to remind them of the truth of God's word. Amen? And when somebody does that to you, don't be offended at them, but be thankful that you have a brother and sister who will tell you the truth of God's word. It does us no good if someone's drowning for someone who doesn't know how to swim to jump in after them. Well, now I'm in there with you. That's what our world thinks. Just, you, everybody just jump in with them. No, we need somebody who stands on the shore, anchored to the word of God, who can lift down their hand and pull you up. And when somebody does that, with the truth of the word of God, don't get mad at them. Well, who do you think you are standing on the shore like that? Think you have it all together. Well, we're not drowning. We're just trying to help you here with the word of God. How did I get on that? We, we, need to be, we need to be willing to speak the truth of God's word and we need to be willing to hear the truth of God's word and not say, yeah, but, after they share the truth of God's word. But to say, yes, that is true and I'm gonna hold on to that report. You remember when the 12 spies went into the promised land? They all saw the same thing. They all saw the giants. They all saw the armed cities. They all saw the fortified cities. They all saw the people trained in war. And they knew that they were all 40-year nomads that had walked around in the wilderness with nothing. And they were to go in and defeat these armies. They all saw that. Ten of them came back with a negative report. There is no way that we can do this. And guess what? If they were on their own, there was no way that they could do it. But they were not on their own. They had the presence of the living God among their midst. And he was going before them to sow confusion, to strike down the enemy, to make their way prosperous and victorious. And that is what God will do for us, his people, today. And so we need to remind ourselves of the truth that God is before us, God is behind us, God is with us, God is always carrying us, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Whatever it is that we go through on our own, yeah, we would be sunk, but we're never on our own because he's always with us. He's in our boat. If he's in your boat, your boat can't sink. Amen? That's why Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. There's this great hymn called, How Can I Keep From Singing? How Can I Keep From Singing? And there's this lyric here in this hymn that says, No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep? 
from singing. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? There's two more stories here this morning that we're going to get to next week. And if that doesn't make you want to sing, I don't know what will. But we need to anchor our souls to the truth of God's word. That he goes before us, that he can prepare a way in the midst of the wilderness, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. He is the peace and the prince of peace. He can calm the storm with a word. He sustains us, his people, with his word. We, we, we too often, and I'll, I'll put myself in this category, we too often pay attention to, to all of the negative that's going on in our world. There, there's all kinds of horrible things that happen in the world where we will have tribulation. But every time we see that, we need to remind ourselves that Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. And so I cannot let the fear out there become planted in here. Begin to grow and to flourish. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And every day we trust in Christ for our salvation from sin, for our right standing before God, for our righteousness. And why is it that we will trust Christ for our eternity, but we have trouble trusting Christ for our today? If we could trust Christ for our eternal hope and life, we can trust him certainly for this temporary life, no matter what storm we may go through or be facing today. Look to Christ and look to Christ in faith. He is not worried in the least about what's going on. He is not sweating it. He is asleep in the bow of the boat. It's smooth sailing for him. Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. He wasn't even going to let it interrupt his nap. It wasn't even an issue for him. And the storms going on in our world, the, the, the political conflicts, the wars, the, the, the elections, all of those things, let me tell you what, Jesus isn't worried about a one of them. Not even worried at all. Because he is sovereign over all things. And he's not asleep, though he could manage it in his sleep. It's no issue for him. But he is seated on the throne. And because Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? How can I keep from praising him? How can I keep from worshiping him? How can I keep from trusting in him? Whatever storm you are going through, do not worry do not fear. He has it all under control. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? <clears throat>
At this time, we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. And as we come to the table, we remember these great truths. Jesus taught us that the table, taking the the bread which represents his broken body on the cross, taking the juice which represents his shed blood for us, that this is to remind us of what Christ did for us. We are reminded that the Lord of heaven and earth left his throne, born as a baby, lived a life without sin, died on the cross, sinless, spotless, to shed his blood so that we who are sinful, we who have transgressed God's law, we who were enemies of God and alienated from God could be reconciled back to God. That the Father, because of his great love for us, sent the Son to die in our place. That his love overflowed, that Jesus' love for us overflowed, and that he went to the cross willingly. You realize Jesus didn't have to do that, but that he wanted to do it. And what would compel such a one to want to endure such a pain? Not only the pain of the the nails, not only the pain of the crown of thorns, but the pain of God's wrath against sin poured out upon the Son on the cross. What could compel such a one but his great love for us? And so as we come to the table, we stir ourselves up. We stir our hearts up with the great affection that God has for us. And the Bible says that because he loved us, we love him. We love him because he first loved us. And so we remind ourselves that I am loved, I am forgiven, and because of that, I am never forsaken. Whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever test, whatever temptation, God is with me in the midst of it. And he will see me through. So I invite you to come to the table this morning with a repentant heart, with a heart examining your heart and your life, with a heart endeavoring to live a life of of holiness and righteousness before the Lord, all the while remembering that he himself is our peace and that he himself is our righteousness. Father, we thank you uh, for your word and we thank you for the work that you did on the cross on our behalf. God, without you, we would be lost and lost eternally. But because of you, you came to seek and to save the lost. You came to die in our place. And you rose again in victory to give us new life. God, today we come to the table celebrating you and your work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.